Welcome to the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. My name is Jeanette Cochran. I'm a pastor, women's leadership coach, and self-proclaimed Jesus feminist. I'm on a mission to inspire and equip women everywhere to own our voice, speak up, create, and lead wherever God calls. Because when women rise, everyone wins. Hello, friends. I have a special treat for you today, a conversation with Julie Zine Coleman. Julie is an award-winning author, speaker, and member of the pulpit team at New Hope Chapel in Arnold, Maryland. She is the managing editor for the Advanced Writers Speakers Association devotional website, Arise Daily. Julie holds a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and has authored two books, Unexpected Love, God's Heart Revealed Through Jesus' Conversations with Women, and On Purpose, Understanding God's Freedom for Women Through Scripture, which was recently named the Golden Scrolls 2022 Book of the Year. What I love about this interview with Julie is Julie has done the work to learn, grow, and courageously step into the fullness of her gifts. And because she's done that, she's blessing so many others. And now she is sharing what she has learned with other women and men so that they can do the same. I think you'll enjoy hearing from Julie as much as I did. So without further ado, let's go. Welcome, Julie. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. So thanks for being with us. Your book, on Purpose, Understanding God's Freedom for Women Through Scripture. I have read the, the whole book cover to cover. Um, it's so fantastic. And I'm excited to introduce you and talk about your book and some of the concepts in there. But let's just start with where are you today? Where are you tuning in from? Uh, I'm just outside of Annapolis, Maryland. Well, I'm writing and speaking full time. And so um, I'm part of the teaching team at New Hope Chapel in Arnold, Maryland. Uh, there's uh, four of us that take turns at the pulpit. So that's a regular speaking ministry. Um, I also do, you know, church retreats and special events and women's things. Um, and I'm, I'm writing all the time. I'm also the general manager for Rise Daily, uh, which is a devotional website for the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association. Um, that takes a lot of time. So I, I, I really am very busy. I'm working. I, you know, when I was teaching, I used to teach elementary school. I had that career for 20 years. And when I started thinking about going to seminary and, and doing this thing full time, I thought, well, how will I fill my days? I don't even know how I had time to teach <laughs> because I fill my days or at least the Lord fills them. So yeah. anyways, that's what I'm doing now. That's fantastic. And I love that you're in a church where there's a team approach to teaching. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I, I long to see our churches do more of that so that we are learning from different voices. Right. Like yeah. I mean, if you don't like one speaker, whittle next week, there'll be somebody else. <laughs> there you go. You're sure to find something that you like. Right. And we do do series to try to keep it, you know, uh, so that we're, we're all together. We're all unified. We, we communicate a lot with each other and, um, you know, decide where we're going with things and that kind of thing. So it, it's not as disjointed as it might sound. Like we'll go through, uh, you know, the book of Ephesians and everybody takes, 
different passages and refer to each other's teaching and that kind of thing. So it really does work for us. That's wonderful. And this is actually the second book that you've written, right? Yeah, uh, that I've written, written. (laughs) Um, The first one was called Unexpected Love, and it was God's Heart Revealed Through Jesus Conversations with Women. And that came out a while back. And so, um, and, but that was kind of the book that kind of led me to understand that um, I wasn't where I was at the beginning of my spiritual journey, um, that I just learned so much about Jesus and his interactions with women that uh, just con- totally convinced me that they were just as important to him as men were. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a uh, re- radio show for Moody. And the host asked me after we turned off the microphones and were packing up, she said, so you're an egalitarian. And I said, uh, yes, <laughs> that was the first time I went home. I told my husband, I think I've changed. <laughs> that was fantastic. back in 2013. <laughs> yes. Oh boy. And so then yeah, tell us a little bit more about what led you to write this book on purpose and who is it for? Well, it's, it's for people who don't, um, don't have a great background in theological writing and aren't willing to dig through some of the harder, um, things that are written and, and technical things that are written. I wanted to make seminary knowledge that I have, um, accessible to everyone. And so uh, I I did not want to write this book because I hate controversy and I don't want anybody to be mad at me. (laughs) So that was, and I kept saying no to God, but I had done all the research because when I was asked to be on the speaking team at New Hope Chapel, I had to dig in and find out, was it okay for women to be preaching from the platform? Because I didn't want to do what God didn't want me to do. Uh, As a matter of fact, when they were uh, doing the sound check for that first Sunday that I spoke, one of the elders walked by and I said, you better walk a little further from the podium. You might get hit by my lightning, (laughs) but not, no one was unhappy with the fact that I was preaching at all. They were all very enthusiastic and encouraging. And um, so I knew for myself that, um, that I was doing the right thing that God had called me to this. And I was just being in obedience to him. Um, But what really got me to write the book and all the stuff I had researched was um, I was just seeing a lot of women leaving the church and walking away because of the uh, way that they were treated within many of the denominations. And they just, they couldn't take it. Plus they were also thinking God felt that way. And so they were walking away from him too. And I thought, I can't know the truth and stand by and watch that happen. So that's when I decided okay, I got to do this thing. Yeah, that is such a shame. I see the same thing too. Women thinking that Jesus has such negative ideas about them. And so, yeah, you talked a little bit about your experience and well, what has it been like for you as a Christian woman with the gifts of leadership and teaching? Tell us a little bit about your journey and Um, kind of what that's been like and and discovering, stepping into your gifts and your callings. You share some really shocking, to me, shocking stories of things that have been said to you over your life and uh, just experiences that you've had. So tell us a little bit about what that's been like. Well, I grew up in a denomination where women wore head coverings and kept their mouths shut. And 
it's in the Bible. So I thought I needed to do it. And I, you know, I, I, it just was never a choice for me, but I did end up hitting my head up on that glass ceiling a bunch of times because I, I am gifted in teaching and in leadership. And so I had to always be worried when I was doing something ministry minded, if I was going to be offensive to anyone, or if I would overstep my bounds as a woman. And it was just a thing for me as I grew up. Um, but I noticed a lot of inconsistency in different denominations and different churches, how they handled women. I mean, uh, it went from, you know, churches like mine where the women couldn't even speak in a, uh, you know, a, a mixed Bible study um, or business meeting to being on the mission field and having no man around. So the woman did do all the teaching and, and, and evangelism. And so, you know, and, and, all the things in between. I mean, they were such silly things too. Like there's one story that somebody told me when she had, uh, when she was in Bible college, Elizabeth Elliott was um, brought in to speak. Um, and so it was kind of a conservative school. And so what they did was to, in order to make it okay that she was speaking, they took the pulpit down and they gave her a music stand. And, you know, you just think, what? <laughs> But, but, you know, all those inconsistencies kind of led me to think maybe we don't have it right after all. It seems like if it was so clear in the Bible, we'd all be doing the exact same things. And so that further led me to study. But, um, but I was pretty convinced that women should only, you know, do what the men allowed them to do and, and not never preach in a mixed audience and that kind of thing until probably 35 or 40, uh, age 40. Um, it just, I, it was in the Bible and I was going to do what the word of God said, but does the word of God really say that? Yeah. The answer is no spoiler alert. <laughs> it yeah. does not. And there are verses. What happens is the verses that I was taught, I knew them as well as John three 16. Um, they were pulled out of context. And so they, they took a verse, one context and then a verse out of another context and another verse over here out of context and grouped them all together and said, here's our doctrine on women. But no one was considering the full context. Why is why was that verse written? Why did Paul put that sentence in there? What did, what part was it in the whole? What was the book trying or the epistle written about? And how does that fit in? And all of those things that you really need to consider when you're interpreting any passage in the Bible, um, uh, but especially when you're teaching topically and you're just plucking verses for here and there, it's really dangerous. And so um, we have to be careful we don't put words in God's mouth really careful. <laughs> yes. I'm with you. It is interesting that oftentimes egalitarians get misunderstood and people assume that we are just ignoring, you know, like we're just ripping pages out of our scripture when the reality is, and your book makes the perfect case. No, we're actually living out the true yes. desires for God of God and we're, the true meaning of the scripture. Um, and living into the fullness of who we are as men and women in Christ. My friend asked me um, when I first started preaching at church, she said, well, then you just ignore those verses in the Bible. And I said, what kind of Bible teacher would I be if I ignored verses? <laughs> I'm not picking and choosing. The Bible is a whole word of God. And I'm I'm with that. I put it on my forehead like if I could. Um, I believe it. And so, but you have to be careful how you interpret. And interpretation is really tricky because while the scripture is absolutely, um, you know, infallible, spirit led, um, human interpretation uh, is not. And so we have to be careful about that and what we bring to the table when we're trying to interpret a passage. And there's things we can do to try to 
keep any kind of prejudice that we might already have um, out of the whole process. But it is a thing you have to think about. And recognizing that it wasn't written in English. So, you know, translators do the best they can, but mistakes have been made in oh, yes, absolutely. really understanding what the words meant and what was going on in the context as you so eloquently point out in your in your book and in many situations mm-hmm. yeah so from a little bit of the research that you've done talk with us about what you found some of the ministry roles that women were exercising in the early church because to your point your experience and what I sadly do still see in some churches today, I, I, you point out that women were, they were leading and teaching doing more than what some women today are allowed to do. So what, what did you find from your research? Well, um, there are people that Paul mentions um, in leadership positions. Uh, A great list to look at is in Romans 16, because he's naming all these people, say hi to this person and that person, and they were so important to my work and this and that. Um, He called a woman named Phoebe a deacon of the church. And so, uh, and by the way, that word dekanos is... um, is translated deacon that in Acts six where they they organize the, the church so that the widows can all get the right amount of food and they name some deacons to take leadership of that. Um, so every time you hear a man associated with the word deacon, uh, they, it's translated deacon. But when you hear a woman, it's translated servant. Hmm. And so totally inconsistent to you know just just they just assume. A woman can't be a deacon, so you know it's, it has to be this other translation. So that that kind of thing is happening. But Phoebe was a deacon. She was more than that. She was a patron and a benefactor, and that word um, from the Greek uh, connoted authority and rule over another in other writings outside of it. It's only used the one time in the Bible, um, but uh, in other writings, it's it's authority. Then there's a Junia and Junia, Andronicus and Junia. Paul called them his kinfolk and my fellow prisoners outstanding among the apostles. Now, back uh, hundreds of years ago, um, centuries ago, they decided that Junia must be a man. So they they started writing Junius, even though the Greek manuscript was Junia. And they said, because there's no way that a woman could be an apostle. So they're, they're, they're taking that interpretation assumption and plugging it into how they translated the passage. And that's the kind of thing you see. But um, then scholars figured out not too long ago that um, a couple hundred years ago that Junia was actually a woman. And so they got, they, they said, instead of saying outstanding among the apostles, they changed the translation to mean that the apostles appreciated her contribution. But the literal translation is who are notable among the apostles. So Junia was an apostle and she was a woman. And so that's that's what another one that's pretty. And even one of the ch- early church fathers, uh, Chrysostom, he wrote, oh, how great is the devotion of this woman that she should even be counted worthy of the appellation of apostle. So they're just a couple centuries after Jesus. That's how they translated it. So they didn't have problems with it. But, you know, l- later on, as as the church went through its things, um, suddenly it was an issue. Um, and uh, this uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa, that's also in it's 16, 
uh, Romans 16, he calls them workers in the Lord. And he uses that exact same phrase to describe Timothy and himself. Workers in the Lord. So, so there's, there's things like that. Um, but uh, that Paul shows that that's specific names and stuff. But the other thing is, is that Paul was really worried about division within the church. And there were several ways, several churches were being divided. One was race, Jew, Gentile. Um, and you saw that in um, Ephesus uh, and then, and, and in first Corinthians, and then actually, I think in Romans too, it's, it's, it's there a lot. It is <laughs> there anyway, a lot. He, you know, he, he nicks that. No, there's no race. We're all one in Christ. Stop doing that. <laughs> then when there was the social aspect, um, social standing. So you have masters and slaves um, were another category. And that was a huge problem for uh, first Corinthians or, or the church of Corinth, because they were um, elevating some people over others and not being one in Christ. It was the social standing kind of a thing, superiority. And then the, the other one was gender, male and female. And if you remember, Galatians uh, 3.28 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul wanted any kinds of line of division erased and all of us to operate under the same authority, with the same authority um, and, and, uh, and not, not in all the spiritual gifts that he, he has several lists of spiritual gifts throughout his letters. None of them are, are um, specified to be gender specific. Mm -hmm. So if you would think if that letter in some of those letters, um, like first Timothy two, he talks about this one particular woman who he doesn't want to teach because she was, she was, teaching heresy. And so he wanted her to step down and start listening to the people that knew better. And, you know, it doesn't say she has to step down forever, but she needs to learn. Right. And yeah. so, you know, you don't want somebody giving false doctrine from, you know, whatever. So, so the, the spiritual gifts were, don't seem to be denoted to anybody in particular, any uh, gender in particular, they're just listed as is. And, um, and we read assumptions into them, which really are not in scripture. Yes. And even in Acts, when yes. the spirit is first given, yes. it's really clear there that the spirit is given to all the sons and the daughters. Yes. Right. In fact, that fulfilled prophecy was what Peter gave as evidence that Christ was the Messiah. Yes. Right. And it was to your sons and daughters. And then later he says to male and female. So that prophecy from Joel was fulfilled the day of Pentecost. And it was women out in the, the streets speaking as well as the men. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because some um, people, well, I should say many of the passages that are used to restrict women are written by Paul. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, I've, I've had women tell me that they just don't even like to read Paul. Right. I feel like poor Paul has gotten such a bad rap because yes, the man yes. has been so misunderstood. Yeah. <laughs> but your, so your book shows a different side of, of Paul. And, um, and so just say a little bit about that, about what, we, what really was Paul's attitude towards women, given the context that the, our Bible was written in and, the, and that he was leading and ministering in. I mean, he respected women for what they had to contribute to the church. Mm 
and he loved them for it. And there's there's no um, superiority at all in him. He's just appreciative. And, you know, one one really good example is Priscilla and Aquila. They were a couple. He met them in Corinth. They had been sent um, packing from Rome by the emperor. And so they were there in Corinth. And then they ended up staying with him and working with him for a year and a half in that city. They were tent makers as well as Paul. And they just worked together and and kept that church going and, and growing. And then when Paul had to leave, he went to Ephesus and he brought them with him. And then he left them in Ephesus to take care of the house church that was forming and then, and, and, you know, gave them to, you know, to help these people grow and mature in Christ. Um, And so there's several times where Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, and it's interesting. I can't remember the exact number now, but I think it's six times that couple is mentioned and five out of six times, I think it is Priscilla's name is mentioned first. And in Greek, that's important because you, you name the most important person first if you're listing people. So that's, you know, it's a little weak in terms of, uh, you know, but but obviously, you know, they work hand in hand with Paul. And, and there's no mention of her not doing certain things because she's a woman. Um, it's not mentioned anywhere <laughs> except for that First Timothy 2. And, I, and that's a passage I really, really hit hard in my book because... Um, the, the whole thing's being taken out of context, and it, it, it's very obviously that she was teaching Gnostic teaching. As a matter of fact, everything that Paul lists for reasons why she shouldn't be teaching are all Gnostic teachings, all three things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's we just need to take another look at some of those passages that, um, and and I, yeah, I've heard people say, oh, Paul had a problem with women, and I'm thinking, okay, stop, <laughs> go back and look again, because <laughs> Paul, of course, wonderful theologian, you know, spirit led by God, and tremendous work that he did, uh, you know, I adore him. Yes, yes, yeah. Unfortunately, that passage has been so misused and to limit women and. Yeah, you do a great job with it in your book and just pointing out if you read it in context and what's really going on there, it never, it was never meant, Paul never meant that women should never be teaching yeah. <laughs> and that women should always be silent, right? And right. and and I think to your point, in other places, there are places where Paul is commending women who are speaking, they are not being silent. So to interpret it that way, then you have a problem because you have a seemingly inconsistency. So um, I love I love what you do with with that passage in this book. So highly encourage that people get it and read it. So tell us a little bit about your husband. You're married to Steve, yes, and his support for you in in your ministry and in writing this book. What does that look like? It's amazing. You know, I, I we were both raised in the same denomination me wearing head covering and him being, you know, the male. And um, so when we were writing our wedding vows to each other, uh, we read them to each other a couple of weeks before the wedding. And I had in my vows that I promised to obey you as my, the head of the household. And he said, ah, don't put that in there. I'm like, it's in the Bible. (laughs) I was horrified that he would think I shouldn't write that. Um, But the thing is, he said, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And, um, and so that, kind of startled me because this guy knows his Bible backwards and forwards. And I, one of the reasons I married him was because he was so dedicated to the Lord and to God's word. Um, And so, so he, he always has given me a little bit of a different perspective and challenged me in the ways that I needed to be challenged in. But when I started this uh, 
writing and speaking thing. I was I was a Christian school teacher and uh, speaking a lot at retreats and events and that kind of thing for women. And um, the God started really leading me to think I should start doing that full time, that speaking full time. I'd won a teaching award and some lady said to me, you need to do that, you know, full time. And I said, well, I'd love to, but you know, how do you get started in that? She said, well, you need a thing. Do you have a thing? I said, well, no, I, I just teach the Bible. She said, well, you need a thing and you need to write a book about it. And I thought, what? <laughs> I said, well, that's not going to happen. I'm a fifth grade teacher. I don't have time to write a book. But sure enough, um, I went home that day and I thought, one of those retreats I could maybe start thinking, what could I write in them as a book? So I started and I wrote three chapters and didn't tell anybody. And then one day I mentioned it to Steve and he said, well, what do you, can I read it? And I said, no. And he said, why? I said, because it's not ready. I'm scared. I don't know if it's good. Or he said, Julie, let me read it. I'll be kind. I said, okay. So he took it downstairs. He read it. I sat upstairs biting my nails and he came back up and he said, Julie, this is really good. And I said, it is. <laughs> but from then on, I started, you know, really wanting to do this thing. I really felt God leading me away from teaching. I was a born teacher. I never thought I'd be doing anything else but being in the classroom. But um, I, through a series of events, I started thinking I needed to go to seminary if I was going to do this thing and do it right. So um, I approached him one night and I said, so I'm thinking about maybe going to seminary. He said, perfect, do it. And I said, well, I was thinking about going on the fast track, like doing it full time and not teaching anymore so that I could just get going and start writing. And he said, absolutely do it. I said, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm making a third of our income. And he said, if God wants this, he'll provide. And you know what? God did. And so he's always been the person is just my biggest cheerleader. And he's, he's got a very good ministry of his own. He's moderator of our elders and he's, um, he, he's preaches all the time. He's one of the four teaching team members and actually directs that whole thing. And he's just loaded with great wisdom and spiritual knowledge. And, um, I just, I couldn't do it without him. He also is a very good editor. <laughs> so I don't write anything that doesn't pass by his desk. And he, at the beginning, especially he would be really good at, you know, helping me clarify where I was going with something and get rid of the rabbit trails and that kind of thing. Um, he's just been a tremendous, you know, I told him if anything happens to you, I won't be able to be a writer because <laughs> I need your editing constantly. So, and ideas, we're discussing things all the time and it, it's a very fun marriage because we're definitely on the same page. That's so fantastic that he's so supportive and, and clearly um, he's a, a strong leader, but not intimidated by your leadership and your gifts. And no. And welcomes those and sees those as a support and an ally that you can you can minister together. I love that. Right. And that is actually very what he is. <laughs> so if you ever meet him, you'll know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's guy. funny that I mean, I would love to meet him one day just to thinking about you offered to obey him. And he said, no, like <laughs> that's a funny story. Yeah. <laughs> uh what I mean, what a what a change. So so, so speaking about marriage, so what would you say, because I know you, you touch on this in your book as well, in Ephesians 5, 21 to 33, for those that might say, yeah, but that passage says that in marriage, the husband, uh, that women are to submit and the husband is the head. And so that means he's really in charge and that there's, there's a hierarchy in marriage. And so therefore that, 
that hierarchy should translate to the church. What what do you do with that? Well, what I do is I look at the structure of where what Paul is writing, and um, it's the, the passage doesn't really start there. You know, we have like sections in the Bible, and they have little titles. That's all man-made. That's not spirit-led. There's mistakes. Sometimes they split a verse or do something weird, and you're like, that should go with this or whatever. Um, And this is one of those cases where the sections that translators have put in um, don't work for the the actual um, structure of that, that section. Paul begins with a command, and it's way back in 518. And he says, be filled with the spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And he, what he's comparing to is when you're when you're drunk with wine, you're under the influence of alcohol and you do things you wouldn't do and you say things you wouldn't say. And Paul is saying, that's not the influence you want to be. The influence you want to be is under the spirit, which, again, you might do things you might not say or, or might, might not normally say or, or feel things you might not feel because the spirit is the one who is the influence. OK, so that's the command. Okay, be filled with the spirit, you know, be under the influence of the spirit. And then he gives four participle phrases. And the participle verb is a verb that ends in ing. And he gives four of them. First, he says, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and spiritual songs. That's the first one. Singing and making melody, which you're going to consider that as um, two things being naming the same thing with your heart to the Lord giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus. And then the last one says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, unfortunately, translators don't pick up on that participle verb for the last phrase. They say, submit to one another. But it's a shame because it it, it hides the fact that all four of these phrases that he gives about uh, it all, they all um, modify, be filled with the spirit. So he's saying, be filled with the spirit, speaking, singing, making melody, giving thanks, submitting to one another. And then he says, wives to husbands. You know, in in many of the manuscripts, the word submit, like we're normally seeing wives submit to husbands, it's not even in the verse. It's in the Mm -hmm. verse above it, where it says everyone submit to everyone else. (laughs) So, and then he, but what he does is then he gives examples, wives to husbands and husbands love your wives. And those two things modify everyone submitting to each other. It can't mean obey, because if you had everyone obeying everyone else, it doesn't even make sense. It couldn't happen. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, this is how you show your, you know, you can see being filled with the spirit, these four things. And then he gives two examples, wives to husbands, husbands to wives. So it really isn't a hierarchy. They're both being examples of submission, which they are to be to each other. Hmm. So unfortunately, a lot of people, when they start speaking on Ephesians 5, start with verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. Don't even look at verse 21, where that's the the main point um, of that passage, which is everyone submit to everyone else. And you see that kind of language also in uh, Philippians 2, you know, always have the other in mind, do what's best for the other person, talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, how you love. It's all over the Bible, this mutual submission. And, you know, uh, even Jesus, you know, the last shall be first, first shall be last. You know, um, it, it's 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 a kingdom principle. And so when you start throwing around husbands need to, the word head isn't even in 
Ephesians 5. Hmm. So, oh, he's the head of the house. Well, okay, where do you see that? <laughs> yes, that is true. It gets translated as head of the house. I also noticed recently, you know, the, the word that you hear in Christian circles a lot is headship. Mm-hmm. But the word headship is not in the Bible. And so like what we've done is we've taken head, right, translated from Kephale, and we've added half of leadership on it. And we've coined a whole new term. So, of course, through our lens, when we've done that, we're thinking that means a leadership role. But speak a little bit to, to Kefale and the, what that what that's saying there. So there's two ways that Kefale had two different meanings. One is that idea of authority, but it's not the same authority as another word, RK. RK is, you know, absolute complete authority, you obey no matter what. But kephale, it, it does mean, you know, leadership in, in other senses. And but it's most um often used if it when it's used for leadership, it's used as kind of a uh, going into battle first or leading by example. And Peter talks about elders leading by example. Don't lord it over anybody, lead by example. Um, and so so that's that word, that first meaning. Um, new leadership, but the second meaning is actually source, like a source of a river. Um, and so, you know, that's where the, the the mount, you know, where the river begins and then, you know, turns into something bigger later on. But so that kind of a source meaning and, um, and, and that could be the meaning too. You really just have to look at the context to see which is which. This is fantastic. I just have to say again, I, I love your book. I just highly recommend it. And I'm going to be giving it to a lot of people because it is very scholarly done. It, it goes into in depth into the, the text, but it's done on a layman's term terms. So it's done in a way that it's, it's, it's not a hard read. You know, some of the, it's not like you're reading a, a, a huge seminary textbook and what it's about, about a couple hundred pages too. So you can read it in a weekend and oh, yeah. Yeah, and really come away with um, a better picture of God's freedom for women through scripture. Um, I love that. So overall, what would you say, Julie, is the message that you want readers to take away from this book? So as I said earlier, I struggled because I hate controversy and and I didn't want to be the kind of person that was, you know, pointing fingers and and judging and condemning. Um, I don't think that's our place at all as Christians, but um, when I was um, actually at a function that you were running um, with the chapter, the Washington, D.C. chapter of um, Christians for Biblical Equality, and uh, Mimi Haddad, who was the is the CEO of that organization, was speaking. And she started talking about how we have to, when we're giving the truth, and this is the truth, I'm telling you, it's the truth, and um, we have to do it in love. And I've been trying to write this book for probably a year at that point, and I thought, love. And I thought about first Corinthians 13. If I don't do this in love, I'm going to be a clanging symbol and no one will hear it. So I ditched what I had and I started over. And so my, my whole goal is to appeal to all Christians, not just people who've already decided um, on, on one way or another, but all Christians and say, look, this is God's word. It's worth taking another look. And we may disagree and that's okay because we're going to be sharing a place in heaven and we will love each other then. And it's just no excuse. We need to be a unified body, but 
But my, my urging is try to approach these passages, erase what's been taught to you already, erase your assumptions, don't bring anything into the passage that's not there in black and white, and just do a study again. Um, and do and just be really thorough and find the biblical principles. And, uh, you know, if, if you really take the time to to dig in, like I did with those passages, something beautiful emerges. And suddenly the Bible's looking a whole lot different than it did before you started. I love that. I agree. I think something beautiful emerges for women, but also for men. And yes, and that that we would begin as the church to live into and be able to really fully model for the world when men and women are living together in relationships of respect and trust and 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 true complementing one another right not diminishing or holding back on our gifts, but being able to come together, like you said with you and, and Steve, and you're you're able to really be allies and complement one another. And I think that's what God has for us. And that's one of the reasons I love your book, because it really um it really moves us in that direction and paints that picture. So where can um where can the listeners find your book? Where can they buy it? Well, it's on Amazon. So there you go. Um, that's probably the best place because right now it's on sale for 10% off. <laughs> There you go. But it's, it's done well with Amazon numbers, and, and I'm very encouraged by that. Um, uh, and my website is something that people might want to go take a look at. It's Julie Zine Coleman, no spaces, Z-I-N-E is my middle name, um, at, uh, oh, dot com. That's the, the website, juliezinecoleman.com. And you can find all the information you want on, on the book and uh, what, you know, what I'm doing in writing and ministry. And I have lots and lots of um, articles that are on there and, uh, and, and I'm working on getting all these radio spots that I've been working on with the book. Um, and, and so it, it should be a pretty good place to start if you want to start looking. That's fantastic. And your book just won an award too, right? What, yeah, for, um, about that? The Advanced Writers and Speakers Association have um, literary awards called the Golden Scrolls, and they're, they're a big deal every year in the publishing business. And uh, my book was named 2022 Book of the Year, which Fantastic. just, I almost fell off the chair, but boy, was that awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. So so those who are listening, it really is worth, worth buying. It's worth the read. Um, it'll probably change your life. And um, thank you so much, Julie. Thank you. You're such an inspiration of so many years of ministry and you've made a, you know, you've made such a big shift in your theology and done and have have done that because you needed to be faithful to step into the call that God had for you. And so you're an inspiration for so many of us women that you've paved the road for us in many ways. And I'm just so grateful that you were willing to spend some time talking with us today. Well, thank you so much, Jeanette. Thank you for your faithful work in ministry and God allowing God to lead you to where you are today. You inspire me. (laughs) So it's mutual. (laughs) Well, thanks. You have a great day, Julie. Great talking with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it with other women in your network. For more information about me and the work that I do, check out JeanetteCochran.com. And I'd love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social. You can find me on Facebook at Coach or Instagram at Jeanette.Cochran.